Hi everyone. I hope you're having a great start to the year here in 2024. And I'm very happy to be hosting our CEO roundtable today and our first CEO roundtable with all women executives and CEOs. So that's a pleasure for me to be able to host it today. So welcome everyone. Oh, we have Sama Sakir here and Rukiat from Brexta and Michelle Hayworth. So thanks to all of you for being here today. As we speak about the outlook for 2024, uh, we have quite a lot of topics to speak about. But before we begin, uh, let's just go around and do some introductions for our audience. So I will start with you, Sama. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Aisha, for having me. Happy New Year. I don't know how long into January we can keep saying Happy New Year, but for now, I'm just going to say it. We keep going, right, Michelle? the end of the month. <laughs> okay. We'll really make it as, as long as possible so we can enjoy exactly. it. <laughs> um, I think you mentioned, I think we've hit the ground running already in January. So I'm Salma Sattar. I'm the Chief Growth Officer of Rology. We're a teleradiology platform that connects radiologists remotely with healthcare providers across the Middle East and Africa and beyond. Um, and, you know, our, our mission is to save lives. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as uh, the session goes on. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you, Sama, for being here with us today. And I'll go to you next, Michelle. Michelle Hayward, founder of Positive Hire. We have an HR technology platform called PH Balance, Positive Hire Balance, which is an internal talent marketplace. We focus specifically on helping employers in the architecture, engineering, construction industry retain and develop Black, Latina, and Indigenous women who are scientists, engineers, and technology professionals. This year has been really good, you know, making some early wins. Uh, LinkedIn likes me because I'm now a top voice on LinkedIn. So I was excited. They they seem to be excited about it. And you get some freebies with it too. So it's not just a label. So for those of you like, I'm not spending, like they gave me six months of a free service that I don't have to pay for. So I, I exactly, exactly. So I like, I like free stuff. I'll say that much. Well, that's amazing, Michelle. So now I want to be a top voice. <laughs> Just to get the free the free six months. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much for being here today, Michelle. And Rikiet, I will come to you next. Yes. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is Rukayat Bielo, and um, happy new year from here to you. And I'm popularly known as Madam Grassroots. So um, the one and only in Africa for now. And this is because um, I love the people at the bottom of the pyramid. We are kind of building a solution, you know, to, to tackle their basic and financial needs. So, and I'm the founder and CEO of Register. So what we do in Register is as a fintech company, we provide quick, easy, and simple access to financial services for the unbanked and micro businesses in rural and peri-urban communities in Africa. So it's... And nice meeting you guys, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us, Rukiat. And all of you have tech-focused businesses uh, and very inspirational businesses as well. Um, how do you see the landscape uh, for your businesses going forward in terms of the services that you provide and to be able to utilize tech advances to enhance the services that you provide to your clients. I will go to you, Sama. 
I, mean, I think it's a great question. And you did mention something important about how 2023 was really about AI adoption. And I think we're only going to see that accelerate further this year. Um, and not just adoption, but also regulation. So within that space, how are we going to continue using that innovation to drive us forward? AI is a key part of, um, of our platform. We, we use an algorithm to, to connect those scans with the right available subspecialist radiologists. So I think that's the incredible thing that's going to continue pushing us forward this year. And I think there's so much happening in the world today, right, which is an understatement, whether it's geopolitical volatility or uh, the trends that we're seeing in tech. And I think all these things are demonstrating a bigger need for what we provide, because really we're about bridging that gap to healthcare access for underrepresented, underserved, um, or unserved communities. And I think that need is never bigger than today. Even though we started in 2017, you're seeing a massive growth of, of the demand for scans um, that happened with COVID. And it's still happening now as people kind of are, are more conscious of their health, trying to pay a bit more attention moving forward uh, there. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, and that's such a great point, Sam, I think, to think of AI and tech as an enabler as a sort of amplifier of, of, of what can be achieved, because I think so much of the conversation around it are kind of the threats that AI poses to jobs. And it's, and it's actually almost like a, like a coworker, right? It's a, it's a helper. It's an amplifier. And so I, and so I think it's as time goes on, more of the narrative will shift to how does AI enable us to achieve more impact? And, and, and that's what you're seeing with your scans there, right? And, Michelle, is it the same for your business in terms of the services that you can provide? We're taking, or I'm taking a different approach um, to, for two reasons. For AI and certain technology, how does it help us with our operations and moving faster as a smaller uh, startups, Black woman-led are harder to get funding? And so what does that really look like for us to really be able to generate more revenue quicker so we have longer runway to really start to build out and probably self-fund our own technology, right? That That is one way I'm looking at how to leverage AI and automation. On the other side of that is really understanding and being very intentional on how we integrate AI into pH balance. One of my advisors, we had a long conversation about if we're utilizing it for promotions and recruitment, we have a ton of, of biases. How, how do we overcome that? And what does that look like? And where do we start? I said, I don't want to start there. And really understanding being very intentional, unlike other countries that are really focused, their governments are focused on making sure their AIs are ethical, they're putting in laws and practices. The U.S. is very slow in doing this. They they are not always focused on the betterment of technology for the people as they are in the capitalist capitalistic side of of capital of uh, the inclusive side of capitalism, right? And so I have to keep in mind because I'm building a product that is to help those that I generally negatively impacted. That I'm very conscientious of the issues that can occur if I don't look for those barriers and holes and implications of not implementing it correctly. So we I'm moving slower to implementing it. But it is still on the path, but it's being much more ethical and intentional in how we build it into our product. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such an excellent point, Michelle, because you you spoke about the difference in jurisdictions here in Europe. They just passed the AI uh, laws and bills, and it really makes the difference when you're building a product, right? Because if you don't have the infrastructure around kind of legal and the biases that are are the inputs into the AI, then how can you scale your product? That's a really interesting conversation in terms of what are what are going to be the products that result from AI um, that may be different from the US or here in Europe or other jurisdictions where they are starting to put in place the laws around the ethical usage of AI. There are products that are going to scale quite differently because they have the foundation there of ethics and to be very aware of the bias that is there depending on who's programming it right and so that's something to look out for for the future i think it's it's uh it's it's really the legal and ethical basis of the creation of the ai and then how do you input it into uh, your product or the software that that you're building and rukia for your platform you have used AI quite often in the past, I believe, um, in creating your service. And how do you see the outlook for what you're offering in terms of financial services uh, with the current state of AI and where it's going and advancing? All right. Um, Thank you for this question. Um, With the kind of business we do, even though we still target the people at the bottom of the pyramid, we understand the fact that majority of them are illiterate or semi-illiterate. They may not be able to um, use um, smartphones. However, our app generally is actually built for the agents. So the agents use the app on behalf of the customers. So we still make use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and alternative data to award credit score to these people we are talking about. So talking about the AI, the AI has actually helped us when profiling our customers. We have categories of customers, then we also have categories of um, agents. So it's actually the AI that helps to determine that, oh, so so person has to be in tier one, so so person has to collect this amount. So the AI, the way we've um, integrated and projected it, it has to be that the AI tells us basically everything we have to do when it comes to customers profiling and loan management. Yes, please. And you you brought up a good point there about the AI telling you what what the main areas and points are to look for uh, with the growth of tech advances and having much more interaction um, with AI. Uh, uh, how do you see the customer experience changing or do you think it's going to change in all of your business as as our services and technology becomes more interactive and we're not just inputting information, we're, we're actually having a conversation back with AI um, and with many services, and that changes the customer experience, right? So I'll so I'll go to you, Sama, first. And I think it's a great discussion because for us, um, with the with the platform that we have, we have multiple stakeholders, right? So the client, you have the radiologist, right? On one side, you have the healthcare provider, and within the healthcare provider, you have the hospital management, you have the technician that's uploading those scans. There's so many people, and we always have to keep 
those people um, in mind as we craft our solution, as we innovate moving forward. And ultimately, the patient is the one that benefits, right? Um, so I think for us, the way that AI is working, it's it's doing different things for different people, right? For the um, overall speed of the process, that quick matching, that was the first kind of use of our that, that algorithm that matched the scans with the available radiologist. I think it's amazing because we also have a quality control system whereby we know that certain um, radiologists work better in the evenings, work better in the mornings. There's so much data mining that's happening there to help us really reduce any risk of human error. So that's kind of from an overall perspective. But we also have ways of using AI to improve the operational efficiency of the radiologist and to help their jobs move easier, move quicker. And ultimately, we're also seeing AI we can use as early detection, right? Because we are looking at scans, whether it's a PET-CC scan, an X-ray. Um, we're using AI for that as well. And I think our, our end users so, is, is so, they're so, it's multifaceted, really. It's not just one. So we're constantly thinking of how to take their pain points and improve them through the platform. And in many cases, through AI. And we're really, and I think the beauty of it is we're learning every day. So we've already identified certain areas that we're playing in. But honestly, every day we're just learning that, okay, you know what? Someone needs um, that report. They're going to write it themselves, of course, for it to be accurate and correct. But are there templates that we can provide that will kind of speed up the process? Uh, whatever drop-down menu we're using on the platform. There's so many little things that are both AI-related and just pure like the core technology of the platform that we're we're tweaking in line with the feedback from the end user. So it's a very um, iterative process, but that's working for us because really, and I think it's not just different stakeholders, different stakeholders in different countries have different challenges, right? So that's something we're also taking into account as we're trying to expand more quickly into more places. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's a great conversation about just having to observe because because the technology is so new and it's and it's new for the business, it's new for the clients, it's new for all of the stakeholders. And then thinking about the different jurisdictions and like Michelle was speaking about the law that underlies the AI in different countries. There's so many different factors. There are many moving parts here that it makes sense right, that you would just want to observe before you take the leap into anything concrete for, for clients or any stakeholders, right? Um, and then the technology is moving so quickly. And so there's a there's a period of time that everyone has to catch up. So, so that's what's very interesting about this time period is that uh, we're all on an equal playing field. And so everyone's trying to learn at the same time. And then it really affects businesses very differently. And so, uh, yeah, so, so it's a time to observe how clients interact and then then what are kind of the learnings that come out of that. And Michelle, do you find the same that because of the growth um, and adoption of AI that there is a period of observation um, that your customers and stakeholders need? Yes, there is a, so if we're talking about just, let's say human resources leaders, they are observing and looking at how they can utilize in the organization. Um, what implications does it have on their team? Like how much training do they have to do with HR people? A lot of HR people like we're. I'm not a tech person. I'm a people person, and so. But they also know that if they don't start looking at it, the, imp the implications it could have directly on their career paths, their jobs, their livelihoods, but also how they may be able to improve the workplace. So there's a, a lot of discussion around that. 
but also because we target technical um, technical roles, right? A lot of those leaders are really excited about finding talent that know how to leverage it. And some of them are like, oh, we're nowhere, we don't have the money for AI. Their C-suite thinks they can afford AI. That's a whole other discussion. But the technical leaders, the engineers, the tech leaders, the scientists, they're looking at AI as the opportunity for them to really do some really great and innovative things, but they're taking a step back. Like we don't even automate stuff here. I'm still doing stuff in Excel sheets or I have to send an email five times. They're talking about AI. We can't do a, a basic form in, in an organization. And so they know they're looking at if their management is excited about AI, like, ooh, maybe I can get money to do automation. And so they're really excited about making sure they have the talent and the talent is trained to be able to harness this technology. And so that's the good side about where wh how we work um, and, and where we focus is we're really getting some of these leaders. But at the same time, I'm, I'm in construction and construction is like, we still need boots on the ground. You do. But how do you get the right boots on the ground? How do you get the, how are you able to make better decisions and quicker decisions sometimes and really, really be able to implement AI? So that's where I'm most excited because I spent my career boots on the ground at construction site as a civil engineer. And so that's where I'm most excited about because we delayed projects because we did, we had all of this information, but it was on a, a, a piece of paper. It was in a text message, an email. How do we pull all of these things together to make decisions much quicker? Um, and still keep everybody on the construction site safe. So I'm I'm most excited about that. I know that's not really what pH balance does, but I just love seeing the implications of how we can do things more efficiently, especially as we move um, further and further into climate change. Aisha, I mean, I, I just want to say something. I love what Michelle said, and if I may say something, because I feel like you were saying that people were a bit averse to it, um, but they learned that they have to use it. And we're seeing the same right in our space. And um, our CEO always says, he says, um, AI will not replace radiologists, but radiologists who know how to use AI will replace radiologists that do not. So I feel like it's very similar to what you were saying. Sorry to jump in, but that really resonated. Yeah. You're absolutely, that, that is the conversation. It is like those that are, are willing to engage with and learn with this new technology, they're bringing up concerns. And as they bring up concerns, like, well, how do we then go about and make sure we don't have these issues in turn. And we've seen early products, right, of AI for recruitment that Google has rolled back. Um, we've seen another huge HR tech company be sued. Of course, all of these companies are U.S.-based, headquartered, founded, that are having these issues. I, I, and, and I don't, maybe you're having some stuff in the EU as well, and I'm just not well-versed. And they're like, oh, my bad, let me roll this back. This is highly biased. And even in chat GPT, I went to um, Institute for Electrical and um, Electronic Engineers Women's Leadership Conference end of last year. And two women from Carnegie Mellon's, uh, one of their tech, tech functions, I forget which group it is. They said, if you literally went into chat GPT and said, hey, write a resume for a male software engineer and then did a prompt, write a resume for a female soft in, software engineer, the resumes were different. Mm -hmm. So when we say the bias is there, it is layered in so deep. How do you, and, and that's why I say being very intentional, we have to look at that 
um, and not rely. We are still the experts. The AI is not the expert and we have to know and do better than the AI in that aspect. Right. Yeah. Those are all excellent points is, is to um, is see AI as, as being, being able to help us do our work, um, but not to replace us. Uh, and, and like you said, Salma, I think those of us who, who use AI uh, versus those of us who don't, it, that, that is going to be the question, but not AI on its own. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's a tool that still is highly biased and 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 is very new. And I think the more that we're aware of, like you said, Michelle, the bias that's baked in into the programming, the more that we can set the ethics and the regulations around it so that we can start to widely use it within within products. But if we don't address those fundamental concerns here, then we'll just end up with a lot of services, products, and software that are highly biased, right? And so and so that's what we have to be able to avoid. And Rukia, do you find the same uh, with with your business that there is a question this question around the usage of AI ethics regulation um, uh, how is AI looked at in Nigeria for example okay thank you for this question to be candid with you AI is the next big thing in Africa not even in Nigeria in Africa as a whole so and um, even in the lending um, space, so when it comes to lending, you notice that a lot of organizations, they tend to value their um, credit risk manager very well. But even with AI now, AI is now trying to wrestle with the credit risk manager, even though we have one in my team. So AI is basically doing what he thinks he knows how to do best. Because if the customers are probably bringing their documentation that, oh, this is the document you guys requested for. This is what I have. Instead of cracking my brain or instead of the credit risk manager saying, oh, you are qualified for this. You don't need to do all of that. So the AI, basically, after imputing all of that, the AI will tell you, oh, madam, you are qualified to be in tier one. You are qualified to take one one uh, one dollar. You are qualified to be into a tier two. You are you know so many things. So AI is um basically going to like replace a lot of people's positions, just like the credit um risk management I just mentioned. So it's something we are trying to like you know hug and try. We are happy that AI is actually in Nigeria and in in the world. Let me put it in that way. So it has been doing a whole lot. First, and you know, talking about credit scoring, credit rating, credit profiling, customer profiling, low management system, so many things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to talk about. So AI is actually making some people to be very lazy when it comes to their work. I am telling you the fact. So AI is a new big thing, and we are here to explore it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And so, so you brought up some great points here. Rikiat, it makes me think of another conversation about AI is that because it's becoming so much easier for us to provide those data points, uh, now clients are really looking for the personalized experience in products and services because they have the data, they have access to so much that now if you're a business, you you really have to provide the personalized service and really focus on the customer experience. Have you, you seen this shift within your own businesses as technology advances that 
customers and stakeholders require more of you in terms of a personalized experience. And I'll go to you, Sama. I think it's it's so interesting that you say that. And I think especially with the field that we're in, that personalized experience is so important, right? From the most basic thing where different um, healthcare providers, whether it's a scan center or a hospital, have different equipment, different modalities. That's like the, the overall thing, but even the way that they interact and all that. And I think there is really a trend from a patient perspective that they that this personalized and precision medicine is really, as you say, it's taking center stage. Um, people don't want one size fits all, right? Um, and I think we, we're we trying to overcome, especially in, in the Middle East and Africa, that first hurdle of just getting access, especially to those that are underserved. But now that there will be access enabled by a company like ours, um, they want that personalized piece, right? Um, and I think with healthcare, I, you, you cannot have a one-size-fits-all because there's so many risks associated um, with a cookie-cutter solution for different patients, for different healthcare providers, because each healthcare provider has different challenges, whether it's internet connectivity, whether it's the modalities that they have, whether it's the way that they're operating internally that they require us to help them with their radiology department management. Um, so I think we wouldn't um, have accomplished what we have and we wouldn't have this vision for growth if we were taking that one size fits all approach, um, it's risky uh, in so many ways um, when it comes to the healthcare sector specifically. Right, and and so to to be able to focus on the personalized needs uh, of of your stakeholders are uh, increasingly more important. I think that's that's an interesting trend to see as technology advances the personalized experience becomes more important we, well we just have so much so uh, we have we have more data we, we we have more apps we have more businesses it's becoming easier and easier to create which which means that the client or stakeholder wants something very personal for for them because then it can seem kind of um, uh, made for everyone and kind of cold as a customer experience and Michelle, do you find the same that as technology advances that the type of experience that you have to provide for your stakeholders and your customers are shifting? Yes and no. So some of them know the more customized and curated the services and the technology is, the more investment they require. And so they're still very... Um, cautious and conscientious about implementing it. So they they take an approach like, well, what where can we start? What is a safe, comfortable place in a in, in a in a new environment that they can start, right? And so then from there, because then it's easier for them to predict. Like, if we do this test, I know what to expect. And so then they're like, okay, and it's less tech. And, and what I mean by that is. They don't have to bring in somebody from IT or if I'm talking about HR people, they know like, okay, that makes sense. The more technical it gets and they have to bring in IT people or more software engineers and things like that from their organization, if they have it or they have to bring in a third party consultant, they feel less of control. And so what we found is having them sit in an area that is uncomfortable within our software but still be able for them to be the expert, right? 
is not always tailored, but they're still the expert and what the output is makes sense for them. And so it's saving them time. It's still showing that they are able to lead their organization well, but they're leveraging new technology and proving to their executive team or their part or others executives, because sometimes I'm talking to a chief human resource officer or chief people officer, that they're still able to lead the organization at a faster pace to help them generate revenue. And so it really depends, like doing pilots, that we give them something that they're easily able to um to understand and integrate. Then on the other side, we have some, hey, we've been using tech and automation. We've done this. We need, I need X, Y, and Z. My team used to be 37 in HR. We're down to, you know, 19. And we're probably going to stay under 20 for the foreseeable future because we know this technology. They are looking for something completely different and they're looking for that curated experience. And we're like, we're not there yet, but we love the way you're thinking and we'll come back to you or we'll we continue to have conversation. And they're willing and open to, to do the investment in the technology because they know and see, especially driven down from the organization, where the growth is and what people they need, what skilled education, skill, labor, talent that they have to have inside of their organization in order to grow in advance. So I think it really depends on the organization, on how curated it has to be for that experience. Sometimes they just need to test. They just need to prove. We just need to prove to them that it can help them save money and time. And then other times, like we're, we want to push the envelope. We want to be Star Trek and we want to go to the edge of the galaxy because we know it exists. And we know and believe tech, this technology can take us there. So those are the two extremes that we're on. But is it definitely depends on where we are in the customer buying cycle, what we see. Mm -hmm. Right. right, And um, probably for the customers also, they're trying to figure out what they need and what they want, too, because there's a there's an element of them being introduced to the new technology and figuring out, well, well how does this change my customer experience and, and, and them providing that feedback back to you. Right. And. Rukia, is it the same for you um, as you see technology advanced? Are, are your clients and customers asking for more personalized experiences or do they have other requirements or criteria that they're asking for? All right. So before the adoption of technology in my team, we were, we were kind of doing manual. So when we introduced technology, we noticed that it's something that they found that it's actually very difficult for them to adopt. But immediately they tested it and they said they, they saw that, oh, this thing is actually very good. We can actually make informed decisions. We can do everything. We can, you know, request for loan on our own. We can do so many things on our own. They were the one even telling us, oh, this is what we want. This is what we don't want. And to be candid with you, our user experience is going to be based on our customers and agent feedback because they are the ones we are saving. And as technology advances, of course, because we are innovative, we are never going to stop there. We are also going to continue to service them in a way that they want to patronize us more. Yeah. yeah. And, and really going on this theme of 
tech advances causing differences in personalized experiences or customers and clients asking for different experiences. Another thing that's happening with AI adoption is the increase in the demand for soft skills, right? Because we because we have the technology, but the soft, but there are many soft skills that are required when scaling a business, starting a business, maintaining a business. So as we see technology advancing, uh, there there has been an argument that there is an increase in hiring for soft skills. So writers. Um, thought leaders, so kind of the softer skills in a business. Um, and do you find that when you're hiring for your team or building your team culture, do you want those who have these softer skills in terms of writers, in terms of sales, and in, in terms of thought leaders, or are you looking for more tech skills? Of course, we, we are going to embrace it. You know, technology can actually do, I don't want to use everything. You know, but technology can do more than what we imagine. So if with technology, I don't need to hire this, I don't need to hire this, I don't need to hire that. Of course, it's something that we are actually looking for. And um, we, as a fintech company, we don't need um, bricks and mortar, you know, to be here and there. With digital center, we are fine. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we are actually bringing digital center is because we want our people to trust us more and to be able to relate with us whenever they want to talk to us. I'm not sure if I answer your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great answer. Yeah, it, it, and, and uh, that's what we see as tech is advancing really hiring and company culture starts to change also so Salma for your team and company culture uh, do you find that as tech is advancing that there is more of a focus on softer skills and uh, we'll say human capital um, than before or do you find it's about the same I think it's a it's a really important point because as we continue to fuel the innovation pipeline and staff up our tech team, and that's, that's a big priority for us, as much as getting that tech into people's hands requires all the soft skills and hiring people that are good communicators, that are good strategic thinkers, um, that have even just a, bit, a good time management. A quick example, um, in our region, People, I think this is a global thing. Traditional teleradiology solutions are these massive machines and they cost a bomb, but people are used to that. So people, the fact that, and Michelle was mentioning this point earlier, that people just want like quick and easy technology. We're actually finding that they don't even believe initially that we can deliver our solution. Our platform is installed in a hospital system in 20 minutes. They look at it's you like you're speaking a foreign language when you say yeah. that. So having the ability to first have a, someone who listens well to the customer and understands their barriers, what's holding them back, and then be able to convince them in a way that 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 reassures them that we're, you know actually we're here to serve you. This is actually going to help you is very important. So that's even from a sales perspective. And I think we're also seeing that as we expand um, our portfolio, as we expand our geographic presence, we're building those communicators, those writers, the, the marketing team. It's so critically important because technology is advancing, but technology will not be adopted if people don't understand it or are worried about it. So you need all those soft skills and the people that have those and have those strengths in order to make sure technology gets to them, but is also used in the right way. That's our customer success team. So. Um, we are definitely staffing up across the board 
but we very much see the importance of the soft skills and all the different individuals across customer success, growth and marketing, um, sales. Um, and by the way, even the, even the, the medical team, right? I think we, we're in a situation where we have so many stakeholders that we have a lot of medical admins and our chief medical officer, they know how to speak to the radiologist. They know their, their, their concerns. They know this certain feature would bother them or you know, and I think, and it not only helps us externally, but it feeds in internally to improve our platform for all the stakeholders. Right, right. And it it makes me think of what you were saying, Michelle, about um, the ethical concerns and the legal that's, that's kind of built around AI, because as, as time goes on, AI is going to take over a lot of our technical thinking. And so, I, I think it's really going to be interesting in terms of just education and and what starts to be taught because it's it, because it's really the people skills like you're speaking about Thelma and ethics and philosophy all of these things that make us people and humans right uh, which which no no matter how fast uh, AI. Um, kind of grows and is adopted, it'll never have these soft skills. And so that can only come from us. But if AI is taking over the technical, it means that we probably can enhance our own soft skills here, right? And so that's going to be quite interesting to see the shift in terms of what's valued in the marketplace. And I think a perfect example of that is as we discuss um, our platform and, uh, you know, a lot of our everything is stored on the cloud. That's the first question to like traditional uh, stakeholders, like, but is that safe? Right. <laughs> and it's to, to Michelle and your, you know, the discussion about the ethical piece, like, what do you mean? And, and, and you know, the fact that we take such rigorous quality control and data privacy and we're HIPAA compliant and we're FDA approved, these things are not just nice to have. They're must-haves in the industry that we're in because patient privacy is number one, two, and three priority. Right, right. And so those are and those are the, really the skills um, that will always be brought by us people, right? And and so I think when when we're having the conversation around tech and AI, um, it's also really important to think about well, what are the skills that we bring that can never be replaced that actually we have to look for more in probably building team culture and speaking with clients and customers, right? Um, so, it, so it's a it's a really interesting part of the conversation with AI and the and the trends that we see going forward. Uh, because it's probably not spoken about enough the importance of soft skills in the market and how important it's going to be to build company cultures and even personalize experiences for clients and customers with soft skills built in mind, right? Um, and then maybe letting AI take over the technical part, right? But but knowing that it's a it's a balance that that we have to have, right? And Michelle, do you see the same in your business in terms of a focus, more of a focus on soft skills as tech starts to advance? and become adopted? You know, I, I love this question with a room full of, or a discussion full of nothing but women CEOs. And, and this is that whenever we're talking about skills that are dominant among women, it is soft. Oh, we, you know, but 
when they wanted men to have these skills, they called it emotional intelligence, right? You need to study. And we have books and we'll go through trainings. But what I find is women do better with hiring. And what happens is once they build that initial team, they generally can create that culture and sustain that culture because they have always been aware of what it takes to build a culture that thrives and grows. They do way better internal to organizations, um, whether it's Fortune 500s here in the U.S. or small businesses, building out really um, ethical, morally thinking, caring about their employees and customer teams, period. I think this aspect of it is because men have been taught, go, 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 get all the money, crush them, um, especially in this capitalistic society we have here in the U.S. And I was like, you know what? If we have technology, we should focus on, on soft skills. No, you should you should have focused on being human from the beginning. And so I don't think it's a shift really for a lot of women, business owners, founders, and CEOs. I think the shift is really on how you create a capitalistic organization to go make money. Um, we're going to lay off people so we appear more profitable. And then we'll hire people back at a lower salary with the same skill set, right? And women are very much more tactical in how they develop our talent, not only in hiring, but how we develop our talent. Um, we may not let them go. We may move them around in an organization like, I see that you're really passionate about this. You're really good with it. Why don't you go ahead and focus on that? And for the way I, I build my teams, whether I was internalized in construction, I would literally, and this is old school, right? Because I worked in construction. I didn't always have the best internet. I would sit on the phone with one of my engineers and we would walk through an Excel sheet so he would understand, because he was a structural engineer, understand what we were doing on the construction management and project management side. Okay, this column means this. This is what we have. This relates back to the contract um, and really just explaining things in a different way. There was nobody in an office of 500 <laughs> That vast majority of them being engineers that was spending the time with him, and they were vast majority men, spending the time with him to teach him this. And I lost this engineer for one main reason. They refused to train him in the office. They bought an internal training. He was the only one on his team that was working on transmission distribution project. None of the other structure engineers were, and they refused to train him. He literally was able to get a job in the same industry because he worked on this project for about a year. And so what I found is we are better as women leaders, better able to identify and make sure our talent is trained. And men will generally have their picks, right? We, we still have our favorite employees, so, but we are generally better at figuring out where to help them grow and advance and close gaps in different things. Men are just like, Oh, no, no. Bob reminds me of myself when I was younger and I had hair and stuff, you know, and that's who and that's where they navigate towards. And we don't always have those issues. And so I I, I advocate that this isn't an issue. This is more of a male driven issue. They need to figure out and organizations that fail to train their people. This is their issue. And so and I say this because we're, we have an internal talent marketplace. And when we're working with people, oh, I didn't know this this employee had the skill set. Yeah, that's why we, I didn't know we had so many people that understood Tableau. 
Did you ask anybody? Did you look at what their goals were? Well, you know, the manager only assesses them on their current job. So nobody asks them where they want to grow in their careers because you want them to do what you want to do, as opposed to finding out what's the blend. Where do you have needs and where they desire to go? And is there any overlap? And, and where are the gaps? And women generally are able to have these conversations. I was the one woman engineer that was telling them where I wanted to go. <laughs> But it's really hard. And and I think understanding culturally that we're better at it. And so I guess I'm saying my software is more like a woman manager showing men this is really how you should be. You should be running your organizations and your teams to really find out and how to cultivate, grow and bring in soft skills within within their organization. So I'm going to stop there. I could talk about this all day because it upsets me and it irks me. Because this is men now thinking, oh, I, I need to I need to be human and talk to people. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great conversation to have. It makes me think that um, maybe we will see more women CEOs and senior executives in this macro environment because you need to multitask, right? And there, there, there's so many moving parts here, uh, and y- you, you have to have a focus of mentoring and training uh, your team members naturally. Uh, but you also have to pay attention to all of the moving parts in the macro environment, and so that the multi-skill um, that that we naturally have as women managers and senior executives are going is is going to come in very handy in in this market environment. And it also makes me think, and just to kind of have a quick poll in our CEO roundtable, has anyone ever thought about building company culture, right? So, uh, um, and kind of um, thinking about uh, what, what are you looking for when you're building your company culture? What, what skills you're looking for? Because if I can just um, talk about when I started building our team, for me, building the team and building the right company culture was the what was the most important, right? I focused on the team and I knew if we have a strong team culture, then we can go out there and tackle anything, right? But it's the very first thing I thought about was having a very supportive team culture um, where our team members felt nurtured and they, and they could grow very similar to what you're saying, Michelle, um, and that's something maybe we just naturally do. We we want to create this type of nurturing environment and supportive environment because we know that in the long run it's better for everyone, right? And and there there is no choosing between, uh, like you were saying, Michelle's soft skills and technology. It's all in one, right? And 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 so it's, it, it it is just about being human and a person and. And and wanting to help your fellow fellow team members, and so was it the same for all of you about it? Kind of in the very beginning, intentionally thinking about company culture and and the kind of business and the kind of team that you wanted to create. I mean, I think this is such a passion of mine that I think I nodded my head so much, I'm giving myself a headache when Michelle was talking <laughs> because for me. Um, I think it was day two when I joined Rology. I prepared like a culture proposal for the company. 
Um, and I always think of like the three C's when I think of culture, right? It's like celebration, you know, of, of work, a job well done, which is very overlooked. And I think it's capability building, regardless of what type of company you're in, everyone wants results. And most people, um, the traditional, and I would agree with Michelle, the male, male management, male leadership would just think, okay, this person is really good. So they're going to deliver. If this person is not delivering, it's because they're not really good. No, this person who may have been struggling, may not understand the business correctly, may need a bit of mentoring, and then it's going to be a rock star. I've seen that myself with the many people that I've managed where someone was struggling under in a different environment. And when I just kind of focused on what their issues were, maybe they had a personal issue that was holding them back, or they were literally, I just don't even know how to use this thing. And then bam, like, what happened to this person? I'm like, just took a little bit of focus and time. Um, And I think it's frustrating for me now that it's, that um, now people are thinking of company culture or and, and the soft skills because it's going to help their bottom line where it's more natural for us, where we're just like, I know that people thrive. And frankly, I want people happy at work. Work, I mean, with AI, with everything, everything is moving at such an incredibly fast pace that if people don't feel supported, if they don't feel they have a safe space at work, and if they don't feel work cares about where they're going to be in one, two, three years, you're going to have a couple of things. You're going to have burnout. You're going to have uh, a complete lack of loyalty to the company because, I mean, why should I stick around if you don't care about me? Um, and I've seen that. I've seen that happen. I mean, I, I, mental health is a passion of mine. It was the previous startup I worked in. So you, you just see that happen. And I mean, I've had people tell me, Salma, you know, nobody ever asked me how I was doing before. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, it's completely mind-boggling for me because it just comes naturally to me um you know and like you know like guys you're working it just go home it's fine yeah. um and I come from a region where it's a very like you work at a, it's it's similar to the U.S. right you work you work you work and then you work some more um so if you want people to deliver you want people to thrive you don't want them to just survive you need to have the right culture um and while it has come natural to, to many of us the fact that people are finally realizing it is is a nice aha. And I think as when I was working in mental health, you do see more leaders realizing that it does help productivity. It does help uh, the performance of the company. So they want to do it for selfish reasons. As long as they're doing it and people feel taken care of, that's a priority. And I think really for, for us at Rology, it's, you know, just caring about the team, how they're doing, if they're struggling, what what's holding them back. And I think we we always say this, right? That we're it's kind of a mantra we have in our leadership team. Like we hire for the potential and the attitude, not necessarily always the aptitude. Because if you have someone who's a rock star, but has miserable emotional <laughs> intelligence, um, they're not going to get their job done, and they're going to affect others negatively. So I'm very passionate. About it. I'm going to shut up now because this topic I could speak about for hours. So um, yeah, hey, I, I I love it. It it really makes me think that uh, we are going to see more women CEOs or um, more of an adoption of kind of the natural way that we lead as women uh, because it's really needed now. Like like you were saying, Salma, mental health uh, is very important and to protect it in your team and to be very aware of it, to ask how how your team is doing to make that natural. Um 
uh, yeah, because because it's natural for me also to ask my team how how they're doing. I want to know how they're doing. I want to know if they're okay. And as we see uh, more of the disruptions in the market and tech advancing, like you said, Sam, it's going to be more important than ever to make sure that our teams are okay and they're doing well and they're thriving. But that's something that we can we can only take care of internally. The narratives are really going to start to shift about what does a good manager look like or what 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 does it really take to build a thriving team in a, in a scaling business? I think we're going to start to get to these topics of mental health as really important to to actually care for your team to to build a supportive culture. Those really what what feel like really basic things to focus on are going to come really become paramount of the conversation of of how to scale a company that thrives in the midst of volatility, right? Because because that's that's kind of what we're we're facing this year. But it's but it's going to create a different narrative of management and company culture that embraces more of what we naturally do as women in management uh, and and I really really do believe that that we're we're all going to kind of lead lead our companies um, better than ever uh, because we have this mix of skills that is so needed at the moment right and so but we're at the end of our roundtable we could just keep speaking for hours <laughs> I, I think we're all so passionate about what we're all doing and i'm very inspired by all of you and all of your businesses and um, it's so nice to host this first woman ceo roundtable and senior executives um, and and to speak about all of these issues that are so important for all of us and we're so passionate about and what i'm really excited to see in the future is more of an adoption of how we naturally lead as women because i think that's been lost in the conversation and like you said michelle and thelma it's a it's a very male dominated conversation about what it means to be a ceo and a manager right um, and I think what's going to come out of this in terms of the macro trends that we see on the horizon is really how how important it is to have this focus on your team that's supportive, that's nurturing, uh, that makes sure that your team thrives, right? And and that's going to be very important, I think, going into the future. So I really think all of you for being here today at our roundtable, and I'm so inspired by your businesses and 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 your missions and your visions, and and I really hope that we can have another roundtable. It's it's great to speak all together as women CEOs and senior executives and uh, speak about the trends that we see on the horizon. So. We will definitely come back and uh, face another year here, or uh, or a quarter, and I'm and I'm sure all of your businesses will thrive and do really, really well. And we're here to support you. Thank you so much for bringing us together and giving us a platform. It's uh, love this kind of network that we have here. Thank you, Aisha. Thank I, you. I, I yes. Oh well. Thank you, Michelle, Rikia, and Sama. Where I'm, I'm really happy to have you here on our call and our 
Alliance. And uh, there's so much I think that we can all accomplish together. And we're just at the beginning. It's really exciting. So thank you all. 